Welcome to the Landmark Apostolic Church's podcast. But I'm telling you, your circumstance has absolutely nothing to do with the power of God. It has nothing to do with the the anointing of God. It has nothing to do with whether or not God can take care of your problem. It has everything to do with whether or not you believe and trust in Him. True apostolics, they are believers of Acts 2.38. They preach it, they believe it, they live it, they declare it, they proclaim it to the lost. They're not afraid to tell you that it is the only saving plan of salvation throughout the Bible. Well, praise God. I should have just asked Brother Rice to bring her on up and just let her preach this morning. I'm very grateful for the Holy Ghost and for my wife. She is my rock and um, just my greatest friend. And I, I get thrilled when I see her used of the Lord. She'll be really mad at me for saying this, but but she was she recently was asked to travel through the state of Maine to all of our sections and and uh, preach to the ladies meetings uh, throughout the district and and I, I want her to come home and preach that to us too because I heard so much about it but um, she really is my strength and uh, her and Jesus together man I can't lose <laughs> I love this church I love your pastor and his family and and I don't mind admitting as I was sitting back there uh, at the very beginning of the first service, my mind was back at home. Where'd you go? Right there. <laughs> my mind was back at home. I was thinking, well, about this time they're getting ready to do this and, and uh, they're getting ready to do that. My son's getting ready to get up and preach. And, and then it dawned on me that this feels as much like home as anywhere we ever go we travel a lot but we love this church amen i know you're on a different schedule than you were when i was here before and i don't know what time i'm supposed to shut up somebody said just make sure you quit before they quit on you so i'll try to keep that in mind too but uh, i have a scripture i would like for you to uh Allow me to read in your hearing this morning from the book of Matthew, chapter 17. I'll begin reading at verse 14. I may, uh, we may get a little bit of teaching and hopefully some anointed preaching before this is, uh, comes to its conclusion. But let me say this, and, and I felt it, uh, Sister Rice, when you were singing the blood. Wow, what a powerful song. And I felt then that God has a special something for somebody today. Amen. Verse 14. And when they were come to the multitude, there came to him a certain man kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son. For he is a lunatic and sore vexed, for oft times he falleth into the fire and oft into the water. 
and I brought him to thy disciples, and they could not cure him. Jesus said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him hither to me. And Jesus rebuked the devil, and he departed out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. Then came the disciples to Jesus apart and said, Why could not we cast him out? And Jesus said unto them, Because of your unbelief. For verily I say unto you, If ye have faith as a grain of mustard seed, ye shall say unto this mountain, Remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. Albeit this kind goeth not out, but by prayer and fasting. <clears throat> My title today may sound a little unusual, but I want to talk to us today about the epidemic of unbelief. The epidemic of unbelief. Lord Jesus, I ask you to orchestrate the remaining few moments of this service that I ask you to speak through me, Lord. Speak to me and to this people. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Just quickly, a couple more verses of scripture. In Mark chapter 9, verses 23 and 24, Jesus said, If thou can believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. And straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe help thou mine unbelief. Matthew chapter 10, when he had called unto him his 12 disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. Down in verse 8, after he had sent them on their way, he said, heal the sick, cleanse the leper, raise the dead, cast out devils. Freely you have received, freely give. And then, and I don't believe I gave this to our sister, but let me just reference the verse. Uh, there's another verse a rather unusual verse in John chapter 14, verse 12, where he said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he do also. And greater works than these shall he do, because I go to my Father. Greater works than I've ever done are you going to be able to do. And in our text today, there was a certain man that brought his son to Jesus, uh, brought him to him and was begging for mercy. Uh, he confessed to the Lord that his son was a lunatic. Uh, and when you reference that Greek word, it really means that he was crazy and possibly epileptic. He would throw himself into the fire and he would throw himself into the water. And, and you know, this in itself is a terrible situation. It's a sad condition. It's one that your compassion will automatically uh, surface uh, and be directed toward that, that poor boy and toward his dad just hearing about the story. But what is even more sad to me today than the child's condition is the very next statement made by this child's dad. 
He said, I brought him to your disciples and they could not cure him. What an indictment. What a disturbing statement. What terrible accusation could be bestowed upon a group of disciples, a group of believers. And of course, we know the story well. Jesus rebuked the evil spirit. He took authority over the sickness. And the Bible tells us that that very hour, the child was cured. And, uh, you know, the disciples immediately following that, they came to Jesus now and they had a question. Why could we not do that? And Jesus said, well, it's because it was a little more powerful devil this time. Or, well, because it was a disease that is just really, really almost impossible to cure. And, and well, there was a lot of things. No, no, no. Jesus just simply looked at them and he said, it was just because of your unbelief. Now, I'm talking about disciples, handpicked, chosen by the Lord, walking with him daily, watching him, observing him, serving him, and seeing all of the miracles and the signs and the wonders and like, why can't we do that? So even after seeing it firsthand, the epidemic of their life was unbelief. And of course, we know the Lord went on to tell them, all it takes, guys, is just a little bit of faith. If you have faith the size of one grain of a mustard seed, which if I put it between my thumb and finger, you probably couldn't see it from where you are. If you just had that much faith, you could say to that mountain, remove to yonder place, and it has to go. And I believe that there's some times that we got to speak to our mountains. We need to look at our situations. We need to look at the impossibilities that are before us. We need to look at all of the things that it seems like all hell is against us. And we just simply look at that and say, get out of my life. Remove hence to yonder place. And if you have faith, if you are not an unbeliever, it has to go. Of course, the very next statement in our text that the Lord made, he said, albeit this kind goeth not out, but by prayer and fasting. Now, your pastor can, can straighten all of this out later. I'm just going to give you my opinion uh, on that statement. I don't believe it was the level of healing to which he was referring. When he said this kind only takes place with prayer and fasting. I don't believe he was categorizing miracles. You can do this miracle, but you can't do that one unless you have another four hours of prayer or you can this or you. No, no, no. If that were the case, when the disciples asked Jesus, why could we not cast him? Why could we not do that? Then Jesus would have said, like I intimated a while ago, he would have said, well, this is a tough this is a really tough old critter in him. This is a really, really evil spirit. And you're going to have to do a bunch of praying and fasting and then come back and try, try your hand at it. No, he didn't say that. He said, it's just because of your unbelief. 
albeit this kind goeth out, not but by prayer and fasting. What I believe he was referring to is you have got to defeat unbelief through prayer and fasting. And when you defeat unbelief, you can say to that mountain, be thou removed, and it will be removed to yonder place. You don't fast and pray for the mountain to be removed. You fast and pray for God to help you overcome your unbelief and have the faith and trust that you can stand upon the promises of God and God will do that work through your faith. You know, our scripture that we read earlier in Matthew 10 tells us that Jesus gave his disciples all power and authority over evil spirits and to cast them out. He gave them power over all manner of sickness. He gave them power over all disease. So they didn't need to fast and pray about being able to do that, he had already given it to them. He gave them that power. They had already been given that authority, but the unbelief in them prevented them from doing the work that God had already commissioned them to do. It prevented them from being able to heal the young boy because you see in Mark chapter 16, it tells us these signs shall follow them that believe. It's all back to belief. In my name shall they cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents, if it's accidentally. And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. What am I saying? What was Mark saying? What is Jesus saying? All you've got to do is believe, and in my name, you will be able to do those things. And I just want you to know I'm not teaching or preaching this because I think we have a house full of unbelievers. I'm preaching to me this morning. I'm preaching to you this morning. The disciples weren't lost men. But there was an unbelief that had crept upon them. And I'm telling you, church, you can allow unbelief to creep up on you because of the circumstances you're going through. But I'm telling you, your circumstance has absolutely nothing to do with the power of God. It has nothing to do with the, the anointing of God. It has nothing to do with whether or not God can take care of your problem. It has everything to do with whether or not you believe and trust in him. He that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he do also. That's a big enough thing for me to absorb. When I think of all of the things that Jesus did, all of the miracles he performed, and then he said, and greater things than I've accomplished shall you accomplish. I don't mind telling you, church, that blows my mind. But that, I'm, I'm reading Jesus' words. This isn't just my opinion here. This is exactly what he said. Greater works than these shall you do. And you know, church, I believe this. I believe we are living in the day and in the time where miracles need to happen on a regular basis. Yes. 
Healings need to take place. People need to get up out of hospital beds. There needs to be blinded eyes healed and deaf ears open. There needs to be limbs straightened out. There needs to be an altar full of, of walkers and canes and all of that stuff. We're living in that time. I wish I could tell you that everybody I ever prayed for was healed. But if I told you that, he'd never let me preach again. Because it doesn't always happen. But I have witnessed some incredible miracles. And uh, we've had two people that I personally witnessed and was there that was raised from the dead. When I was working in the secular industry a few years ago, my son worked there and I was back in my office and he come running back to my office. He said, dad, you need to get out here. He said, Joe just collapsed. And there was a concrete floor out there and I went out and Joe was laying nose first in the concrete floor. I mean, he just dropped like a, like a tuba 12 got pushed over and I rolled him over and he was dead. His body had relaxed. His fluids had relaxed. His eyes rolled back in his head. I felt for a pulse. I'm not a paramedic, but I did serve as an EMT, and I know how to find your pulse. And I felt for his pulse, and there was none. I hollered at the, the secretary to call the ambulance, which is in the building right behind us. They come running around. I knew the EMT when they pulled up. I went out, and I hollered, bring the defib. He's not breathing. They brought it in. I'm praying for him. I got my hands on him. I'm praying for him. My son called my wife. She's home praying for him. And the EMT moved my hand out of the way and ripped his shirt open and put the, the, the paddles to it and zapped him and it raised him up and down. And, and he, they had him hooked up to the machine and he was totally flatlined. Every time they zapped him, as soon as they left the paddles off, I put my hand back on him and I zapped him with everything I could. My wife's praying. I mean, they zapped him uh, seven or eight times and every time his head coming up and back down on the concrete and nothing, totally, totally flatlined. And this went on for two or three or four minutes. And finally, the, the paramedic he told the, ambulance, the, the other attendant to bring the stretcher. I mean, they was hauling him out. And about that time, I saw that line, just a tiny flicker. Come on, come on. And I pointed to Big John, and I said, what's that? He looked at it, and he zapped him again. <laughs> and I zapped him again. They hauled the man to the hospital and before I could get there, he was sitting up talking to them and giving them information. A year later to the day, our office brought out a birthday cake with one candle on it and saying happy birthday to him because they knew he had had a brand new life. God raised him from the day. I saw that. We had a, uh, my former pastor was in, in uh, the basement of our church. We were having a church dinner, nothing spiritual going on, eating, fellowshipping. 
and I'm walking around visiting. And somebody hollered at me and said, Pastor, Brother Churchill just collapsed. Now, this man had already been declared that he only had 35% of his heart working. He had had open heart surgery. He had had heart attacks. He had had strokes. I go over there, and they had already rolled him over. And I watched his eyes roll back in his head. And my son and and daughter-in-law work in the hospital doing CAT scans and registered nurse. And my assistant pastor is a, a paramedic of the highest level. They're over there working on him. I've got his hand. I can feel his pulse, but it is so weak. I almost have to imagine that it's still going. Eric is working on his neck. I lost his pulse. They're all praying. And I, and I started to tell Eric, I don't have a pulse anymore. And he looked at my son and he said, he's gone. There's nothing. And my son looked at his wife and he said, are you ready? And they began to do chest compressions. Well, when my wife saw the, my son doing chest compressions, her level of prayer elevated a few more times. It was serious business. The man was dead. He was not breathing. There was no breath. There was no life. 911 had already been called. Two or three minutes went by. Nothing. And finally, Eric said to my son, he goes, wait a minute. I feel something. And it slowly began to come back. His face was as white as those curtains. By the time they, the paramedics or the ambulance got there, he was talking to us. He, I said, Brother Churchill, do you know who I am? And he, he said, yes. I said, well, who am I? And he gave me his name. And, and, and they loaded him into the cart and they hauled him to the hospital. I grabbed his wife and I said, let's go. And we followed him to the hospital, parked, and went inside. When we came inside, Eric came out. He went into the, he went in the ambulance with him. He came out all smiles. And he told Sister Churchill, he said, he said, no worries. He said, your husband's in there setting up in bed, telling them what they're supposed to do and giving them his vital statistics. But they said he should have never come back. A paramedic, when the first guy died, said, I have never in my 30 years of doing emergency work, I have never seen somebody flatline that long that ever came back to life. Church, I'm telling you, there are things that God is expecting us to do, and we better rise to the occasion. We have two different ladies in our church, each of which were suffering uh, horrifically with fibromyalgia. And I prayed for one of them on a Wednesday night. We never felt the charge of electricity. We never, she never fell out. Uh, we just prayed for her. But the next day, her pain was 100% gone. She has never taken another pill for that disease since the day she was prayed for. The other lady was healed instantly. Instantly. She had a doctor's appointment. I mean, she had these 
prescribed pain patches all over her and everything. She had a doctor's appointment. She told her lady friend, she said, I want you to come with me. She took all that medication. The doctor came in. She says, here, I don't need these anymore. Well, you can't just stop taking those. No, I don't need them anymore. I'm turning them back over to you. Well, what happened to you? She whips out about that many church business cards. <laughs> and she said, I was prayed for and God instantly healed me. I haven't had a pain in over a week. The lady says, I got some, some uh, patients that need to go to your church. That's when she whipped out all those business cards and give them to her. We have another man in our church, John Donovan, takes all kinds of, or used to take all kinds of medications, severe diabetic, insulin shots, the whole works. We prayed for him. He was critical. He, his blood had, uh, sugar had gone up to over 600. He was almost a walking coma. And, and we prayed for him. And a couple of days later, he called me. He says, Pastor, I got to quit taking some of this medication. He said, I feel like I'm almost overdosing. I, I, I don't feel right. I said, well, you go to the doctor. You let the doctor tell you. Uh, you can call me chicken if you want to, but I don't ever tell anybody, go off of your medication. I try to use a little wisdom there. <clears throat> I said, go to the doctor. He needs to probably reduce that. Well, he didn't just reduce it. John doesn't have to take that medication anymore because God healed him of diabetes. My mother was just this year healed of cancer. She had a cancer in the roof of her mouth that grew so fast that she couldn't put her dentures in and she had no palate. It was level. Her mouth was level across with the bottom of her upper gums and you couldn't even see her gums. It was just one huge cancer that took place in a couple weeks time. The PET scan showed that it had gone up into her nostrils and into her sinuses and into her eye socket and pressing on her skull plate and they begin to prescribe the, the chemotherapy. We begin to pray. Uh, people across the country began to pray. We anointed a handkerchief. My wife and I went out there. We brought the handkerchief with her and that was on a Monday and we give her that uh, handkerchief and we prayed for her again. She, we, she got up Wednesday and came out to where I was. She goes, I'm going to put my teeth in today. And I said, you're going to what? Get off of their unbelief. See, I, that's our reaction. You're what? She said, I'm going to put my teeth in today. And she did. We had a doctor's appointment that day. Went to the doctor. The cancer doctor came in. He said, I want to see your mouth. She goes, let me take my dentures out. She did that on purpose, just bragging. You have to know my mother. But she said, well, let me take my dentures. He said, take your dentures out. She goes, yes. Took them out. He took one look in her mouth. He went and got another doctor. He said, you got to come see this. God had healed her of cancer. <clears throat> he told her the very next week he said I declare you in 100% remission she said you can call remission if you want to but I've been 100% healed <clears throat> I am convinced that there is a mandate a command 
and a duty from God to us that we absolutely must fulfill. We were given power. We've been called to be witnesses. We are commissioned to be believers and miracle workers. I said we've been called to be miracle workers. Not to be afraid of them. Not to worry about whether it's going to happen or not happen. Because Jesus said greater things than I've done are you going to do. You see church and I'm hurry. I don't even know what time it is. You, you really need to holler at me. He won't do it. He's not obeying. He needs to holler at me and tell me when I'm supposed to quit. <laughs> but there is a world that's looking for answers to their problems. That world's all around us. They're looking for a healing of their bodies. They're looking for salvation of their soul. And pastor, they don't know where to go. They don't know where to look. You hear me? They're looking. They're looking. They're looking. They're searching. They're searching. And it reminds me of a scripture in Luke. Chapter seven and and, and verse 19 and John called two of his disciples and he said you need to go to Jesus and ask him this question art thou he that should come or look we for another are you the one or do we need to keep looking And so just quickly, I'd like for you to take a trip with me for a moment. Let me show you the urgency urgency that we face every time we come into church. We don't know what and who is going to walk through those doors that's looking and searching. But on any given Sunday, there may be visitors come into the church. I don't know who's a visitor here today and who isn't, not looking around, not pointing a finger. But it could be that some Sunday, a helpless, hopeless teenager that's ready to commit suicide walks in those doors. It could be an alcoholic that just watched his home be destroyed by his addictive behavior, losing his wife, losing his family, losing his children, but he comes staggering through that door. Could be a husband and wife that's at each other's throat, ready to to, uh, file for divorce, but thinking, well, we'll try one more church first. It might be a loving parent that brings a sick baby in with a raging fever. They've been to the doctor. They've been to the emergency room. They don't know what else to do. Well, let's go to such and such church and see. Might be a homeless family. They walk in the door, dragging a couple of hungry, dirty, smelly toddlers with them. The heroin addict comes in, the crackhead, the prostitute. It could be that young person that's got all kinds of stuff on him and covered with piercings and and tattoos and multiple colors in in their hair and, and and if anybody's out there like that forgive me i'm not describing you i'm glad you're here but we see this parade of people coming in pastor and all of a sudden the music stops The praise singers quit praising and singing. And the church looks around 
and stares at them. And then they stare at the pastor. What are you going to do with this mess, pastor? Is what their eyes are saying. And in that silence, it is broken as the visitors begin one at a time saying, can you help me? Can you heal me? Can you cure me? Can you get this addiction off of my back? Can you give me a reason why I should keep living? Can you take care of my problem? Is this an apostolic church or do we look for another? Are you one of them or do we keep looking? You see, let me remind you of what apostolic is not. It's not a religion. It's not a particular type of a culture. It is not a bunch of people getting together all smiles and singing kumbaya and, and, and all of this good stuff. It's not a social club. It's not any of those things. But let me quickly tell you as I'm, as I'm trying to find a place to close here what true apostolics are. True apostolics, they are believers of Acts 2.38. They preach it. They believe it. They live it. They declare it. They proclaim it to the lost. They're not afraid to tell you that it is the only saving plan of salvation throughout the Bible. True apostolics are believers of the blood. They're not, oh, I love that song, sis. They're not afraid to say the blood. They still got the blood in their song books. They're washed by the blood. They plead the blood of Jesus. They know the power of the blood. True apostolics are believers of the doctrine of separation. And they understand what it means when it says, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. And then I will receive you. It's not saying shy away from them. It's not saying hold your nose up. It's not saying that you're better than them. It's saying come out from among the sin. Come out from among the filth. Come out from among the problems. And I'll receive you. And I will give you power to be a servant unto them and reach them for the lost separate yourself from sin touch not that means leave it alone that means get away from it period refrain abstain you see if pornography is wrong and it is then one peak is wrong If drinking is wrong, then one drink is wrong. If the evil of the world is wrong and you're a true apostolic, you don't rub elbows with it. You come out from among them. We should never, ever, ever, ever have to have a visitor ask us, are you apostolic? Are you one of them? Oh, and I tell our church anyway, I said, I want them to feel welcome, but I don't want them to feel comfortable. Come on. Now, he can straighten all this out 
He's an awesome pastor. But I'm telling you, I don't care what they look like. I don't care how they're dressed. I don't care where they came from. I don't care where they spent last night. They are welcome in our church. And we will do everything to make them feel welcome. But I don't want them to be comfortable. I want them to come out from among that mess that is destroying their life. And another thing that true apostolics are is our Jesus name believers. Yes. Now we're not Jesus only. We're one God only. Yes. We're God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. Yes. This one and only God that manifests himself in the flesh. Yes. His name, by the way, is Jesus. Yes. We pray for the sick in Jesus' name. We preach in Jesus' name. We pray for our food in Jesus' name. And we baptize in Jesus' name. We're not Jesus only. We're Jesus everything because he's the one that came to this earth and shed his blood and suffered and died for me. You say, well, why don't you baptize? Am I okay? Why don't you baptize in the titles Father, Son, Holy Ghost? Well, I'm glad you asked me that. Let me tell you why. Because first of all, the Bible says in Romans 6, 4, I'm off my notes now. But the Bible says in Romans 6, 4 that we're to be buried with Christ in baptism. Yes. Now, you don't bury somebody that's alive. Come on. To my knowledge, God never did die, so why would I be buried with God? Just let that set there for a minute. The Holy Ghost never did die. It's alive and well. I feel it in this church. So why would I be buried in the Holy Ghost? I'm telling you, my God came to this earth and he said, I don't have flesh. I don't have blood. I don't have bone. So I'm going to manifest myself in the flesh so that I can come and make the supreme sacrifice. Oh, I will come as a child. I will be, I will be raised up and I will suffer for the things in the flesh but in the spirit I am the mighty God in Christ I will deliver you from your diseases I'll deliver you from your afflictions and your addictions I'm telling somebody today the name of Jesus brings peace and it gives power it'll calm storms and it will render your devil that's dogging you it'll render him helpless Oh, my Jesus. He is the Alpha and Omega. He is the beginning and the end. He is the first and he's the last. He is the one which is and which was and which shall be. He is everything. There is nothing that he is not. He's my healer. He's my provider. He's my protector. He's my banner. He's my shield. He is my God. He is the God of my salvation. And there is nothing he cannot do. Finally, true apostolics are full of apostolic doctrine, authentic doctrine, doctrine that does not get watered down. These apostolic preachers, I know them well. I love your spirit, brother. They don't tiptoe around when it comes to apostolic doctrine. 
They don't skip over some doctrines because they don't want to offend anybody. They're not afraid to say Acts 2.38 is still the only saving message. The Holy Ghost is still necessary. The evidence of speaking in other tongues is still the evidence. And Acts 4.12 still needs to be proclaimed that neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. We need to be not just doctrine, but we need to also be demonstration. <laughs> Jesus said, just when they ask, are, are you he or should we look for another? I love his answer. Go your way. Tell John what things you have seen and heard how that the blind see the lame walk the lepers are cleansed the deaf hear the dead are raised and to the poor the gospel is preached that's who I am I came to this earth for that reason in the name of the Lord folks programs don't change lives rules don't change people God changes people through a preached doctrine and through the demonstration so when that hopeless teenager walks in ready to commit suicide there's going to be some young people that are going to go over to him and put their arm around him and begin to pray with him and let him know that there is a hope beyond this life and the answer is not suicide the answer is Jesus the alcoholic same thing restoration loving them leading them and you see, when that loving parent brings that sick child in, the doctors couldn't cure. They couldn't get rid of the raging fever. But he came to this landmark church. But they bring him and they said, we brought him to this landmark apostolic church and said, they just came over and put their arms around us and they laid their hand on our baby and they said a simple prayer and I felt the body of my baby begin to cool off as the raging fever left him and you know what they're going to do they're going to go tell everybody what happened to them at landmark apostolic church because they preach it they believe it they live it so church just keep standing if you will we need to become a people of the name in doctrine and in demonstration. It's time to begin declaring. It's time to lay hands on the sick. It's time to witness and pray for people out on the streets. Yes, yes. I said out on the streets. That's right. Well, pastor, what if nothing happens? Well, stop worrying about how you're going to look if it doesn't happen. This isn't about you. It's about him. A much more prominent preacher than me was asked that question. And he said, well, let me tell you why you don't take credit for it not happening. If you're willing to take credit for it not happening, you're probably going to take credit for it when it does happen. It's all about him. Jesus Christ. When he said, I, gave, I, I give you power over this stuff. Now go do it. Freely you've received, freely give.
And I just wonder if there's a prayer warrior in the house today. Where's my buddy? We were talking about it before church. Prayer warriors breaking down the barriers of sin, calling upon the name of the Lord. And so today, if you are here and you're in need of a miracle, then this altar call is for you. If you're in need of the Holy Ghost, this altar call is for you. Because let me tell you something. I love to see people raised from the dead. I love to be able to lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. But let me tell you something that makes me way more excited than that is whenever that person that walked in those doors comes down here with a broken life and a broken heart and, and pain all over their face and they begin to repent and you instruct them what to do next and they lift their hands toward heaven and they begin to speak in that heavenly language that just makes me more excited than anything else that can happen I see your smile sister I remember when God gave you the Holy Ghost and it's still there it's still alive so I ask you today as they begin to sing this altar is open whatever you have need of today. Remember, unbelief is the only thing that will stop it. Come believing. Let God fill you with the Holy Ghost. Let God heal your bodies. Let God deliver you from whatever addictions you may have. Would you come? Thank you for listening to the Landmark Apostolic Church Podcast. You can follow this podcast for more great episodes from the Landmark family. If you are ever in our area, our doors are open on Sundays at 10 a.m. and Wednesday at 7 p.m. Thank you once again for listening to the Landmark Apostolic Church's podcast. God bless.